Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Thank you for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can give a call 314 314- 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. Alex will answer the phone. He just needs your first name. So don't bother trying to tell him the question or anything else. He could care less. <laughs> Mr. Kelly, what what is this weather? Isn't this nuts? It is crazy. Yeah, I, when I came in this morning and my first newscast and I started reading the weather forecast and I saw the high on Tuesday, 38. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, it is December, you know, so it is. We should expect oh, that. But I yeah, it was seventy-five. I thought this There's was some, September for some reason. It feels like it. I know. It's Man, crazy. Yesterday was so perfect. I know. I and know. This morning I wake up and I go, oh, yeah, back to this. <laughs> so how does this affect our plants? Uh, plants are the worst thing with the plants right now is the water circumstance. Really? We haven't had any rainfall in a long time. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember the last rainfall. Yeah. And so everything's getting pretty dry. So that's more problematic. Yeah. I'm, Sue made me water some of the pansies this week. She made me. I water them. No, she didn't. I'm just kidding. But but I did. I have to water some of the the because yeah, it hasn't. They Everything is drying good. up pretty much. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they look beautiful. All right. So sounds good. All right. Thanks. See you later. Yes, folks. It is Saturday morning. We get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your landscape. Oh, so much stuff is going on. I mean, here it is. It's not quite mid-December, but it is early December. And, I mean, I can't believe the other day I saw several mosquitoes. This is just getting crazy. But isn't that global warming? Well, maybe it is. And I personally welcome the warmth because I prefer that over the cold. But anyway, hopefully as we discuss things that uh, related to your questions, my thoughts will help you orchestrate and hopefully uh, solidify your options, of course, with the final judgment being on your shoulders. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car, wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player, as I said before, is Alex. He's the producer. He answers the phone. He pushes all the buttons. Man, he's quite talented, and uh, without him, the Garden Hotline would be this. Silence. So I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. That's in the last century. Yes, and I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you like. 
I call it a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where you can contact me. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Across the street from a statue of Italian immigrants, ah, it's embraced by a classic fence, columns with balls on the top, wrought iron fence with uh, Lyropi, or is that Lariopi? Who knows what it is anyway. But at the bottom of the fence, it looks great. Granite stepping stones lead through the gates, and the gates are handcrafted locally and donated by Edward and Margaret Emo. And this leads into the Emo's Plaza. Priscilla Family Nursery has the fountain in there, and the horses and fish, oh, they look kind of sad because the fountain's asleep for right now, but that's okay. There's all kinds of pots and benches that are donated by various people. Lights overhead, wrappings, everything. I mean, it's just really fantastic looking. I'm there right as before the sun comes up, and it was it's really nice, to be honest with you. And there's all kinds of different shrubs around, too, and trees and various other things as well. There's some boxwood. There's shrub roses. There's conifers. There's oak leaf hydrangea. And one of them is still clinging to those bright red foliage that should have fallen off several weeks, if not a month or two ago. Seasonal trees, yes. And they are lit with all kinds of uh, red, white, and green lights. And they have a skirt around the base of them that looks kind of like they stole the, some of Santa Claus's clothing. Hmm. The backside of the plaza offers checkers and chess. Can you imagine that? And all the, the checkers and chess are sitting right there. They're on marble tables and benches. be kind of cool right now to sit on that marble. But uh, anyway, they just kind of leave them there. If you want to go play chess in the middle of the day, there you can go. All It looks like all the kings and queens and knights and rooks and everything else are right there. And there's a pair of fountains that spice up the back wall as well. The south wall has cut stone inserts dedicated to numerous people and families. And uh, the breeze was blowing, so it made it kind of a little bit chilly this morning, but not too bad. As I looked to the east, the sky was starting to brighten. And uh, as a reminder, though, it was nice to see the sky brightening because I knew the sun was going to be out. And it was going to warm it up, and uh, later on today it will get, what, I think Brian said in the mid-50s or something. Hmm. Not quite as good as yesterday. But remember, if you're going to Emo's Plaza, please don't take your dog unless it's a service dog. They prefer not to have any dogs in there whatsoever. So anyway, that was, it was a great morning on the hill as I wandered around and just marveled at the lighting and everything else. And the St. Ambrose Church is right across the street also. So Mike Miller, KM Wash Garden Hotline. We will be back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, we have some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you are getting a cut Christmas tree, I will tell you, as soon as you bring it home, cut off about uh, four inches, three or four inches of the trunk, and then put it immediately in water so it will start absorbing it. But if you don't cut it off, 
Uh, it will probably okay absorb some of the water, but by making a fresh cut, then it's going to absorb better water, more water, and it's going to stay fresher for a longer period of time. Actually, I've been really kind of surprised to see how many people are buying trees, cut trees, this time of year. Usually people wait a little bit longer, but uh, everybody's really excited about the season this year and jumping onto it and, you know, thinking and going into an exciting circumstance. Let's head over for the first call to Jason. Jason, how are you today? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks. Good morning. Mm -hmm. I am planting... Uh, six white pines that I have picked up. They're about six foot tall with an 18 inch ball. I'm going to bring one in for the month and use it as a Christmas tree in the home. I'm eventually going to use all of them just as uh, screening. So I've got some guys coming out to dig six holes. Is there anything I should do in terms of ground preparation before I unwire and unwrap um, that that ball well first of all the tree that you, trees. Oh, first of all the tree you bring inside probably will not survive so i mean it'll be okay it'll be green but uh it's you know even if you keep it moist and everything else uh the temperature in your house is going to be a little bit warm for it so maybe uh, i just, can mix that yeah <laughs> just keep your fingers crossed but anyway when they come to dig the hole make sure it's three times the diameter of the root ball but only about 80% is deep because you want the top of the root ball above the surrounding ground, and it's particularly with white pines. White pines are probably, uh, other than Austrian pines, white pines have more trouble here because of our weather than other conifers. So uh, good luck with it, and just realize Three how, times the width. Pardon me? Do not bury it. Three times the width right. but not, of the ball, but do not bury the ball too deep is, right. is what you're saying. Exactly. Screening is what I'm going for. I'm trying to block out uh, some visual with new construction and eyesores and so forth. So um, as far as spacing or staggering, I just want a, a visual screen is more important than dragging one of these trees in the house. Any advice on, on placement? Uh, basically, uh Depends upon how anxious you are. They've probably been pruned heavily for several years, so they have a kind of a nice tight, you know, system to them as far as all the branching and needles and everything else. I would probably, which you probably won't like, probably 10 feet apart would be the minimum I'd put them apart because ultimately they're going to get big, but I don't know how long you're going to stay in the house. So consequently, maybe you better make the screen happen ASAP. And then if they kind of go downhill as a result of being overly crowded, then you'll probably move on anyway. I'm moving out in 50 years when I hit 100. I'm moving to Del Mar Gardens. <laughs> well, maybe you should put them at least 10 feet apart then. Okay, thanks, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go over and see what's going on with Ross. Hi, Ross. Hi, Mike. I live on an all-wooded lot, and I have ivy in the transition areas between the woods and my lawn. And this time of year, this is covered with a thick layer of leaves. Right. Is is it more harmful or beneficial to leave that layer on for the winter? It's It could cause problems from a, the standpoint of uh, too much humidity. So it's, it's going to depend upon our weather in which we never know what's going to happen. But if we ultimately we haven't had any rain for quite a while, as I was talking to Brian Kelly about, 
But if we have, let's say, an exceptionally wet winter where there would be snow, sleet, ice, or just rain, and then an exceptionally wet uh, springtime, then it could be trouble for you know the, the ivy just in general. What you can, I don't know how big this area is or anything else. What you could do is set your mower as high as you possibly can and just mow over the top of it to try to chop some of the leaves up a little bit. Okay. All righty. Thanks very much. Sure. My pleasure. And I do the very same thing with, uh, I have a very, uh, sedum, ground cover between my sidewalk and street. And I have sweet alyssum in there and, you know, a few other annuals and some perennials. And I live right across the street from Christie Park. And we're on the northeast corner, so the winds, prevailing winds are out of the southwest. All the leaves start blowing out of the park as soon as they all fall. Right now, there's, the oak trees are still holding on to a lot of leaves. And once they start heading in our direction, I end up with, uh, you wouldn't believe how many bags that go into the yard fill dumpsters. But uh, unfortunately, the city hasn't emptied those for a little while. But anyway, what I do is I just set the mower high and I just chop the leaves up. And then, you know, it seems to work out fine. So let's now go over to Randy's yard. Hi, Randy. Hey, Mike, um, I need to, I got to move some uh, shrub roses. When can I do that? Uh, if you're going to do it now, you better get it done as quickly as you possibly can. Um, what you want to do is you want to do it now because the ground is still warm, and warm ground makes a circumstance which stimulates root system you know, development and growth. That's the advantage of doing it in the fall slash this time of year, even though we are not— Technically, we're still in the fall for another couple of weeks until, what is it, December 20th or something like that. But when you do it in the spring, the ground is really cold because we're coming out of wintertime. So consequently, you move it and it just sits there. Oh, you know, and you're not going to get any new growth as far as the root system goes until probably mid to late April, early May. So if you can get it done soon, I would do it now. If you can't get it done within the next week or two, I'd say skip it, and uh, you're just going to have to kind of deal with it for, uh, you know, cold, let's say, feet, which is roots, for them uh, next year. Okay, if I, if I cut them, I, I can cut them back so, you know, I don't lose a, a pint of blood, you know, doing this. Um, <laughs> is that going to hurt them? Is it, is it going to harden off those cuts? or? Uh, that's not a problem as far as cutting them back. Just don't cut them back too much. Because you're going to make it a situation where the root system is going to be reduced. You've reduced the potential for foliage, and the two things really work together to keep plant material healthy. So, in other words, nutrients and moisture come up through the root system, and then they go up to the leaves when the leaves start emerging and then grow out in, you know, during the growing season. And then the leaves use that nutrients and moisture coming up from the root system with sunlight to make food, chlorophyll. And that's what keeps the plants healthy and that's okay. a really essential thing to have happen. All right, great. All right, thanks, Mike. Sure. Have a good one. Yeah, just you know, be careful because you're reducing the root system and you're reducing the foliage, and hmm, it could be trouble, but it may not. Who knows? We never really know, to be honest with you, when we're doing kind of anything <laughs> in our landscapes. Yeah, okay. All right, All right thanks, Randy. And now let's go and see what's going on in Kathy's yard. Hi, Kathy. Hi, I was just wondering, I bought some Mexican heather this past summer for the first time, 
and they grew like gangbusters. I'm wondering, will they come back next year? Are they perennials? Um, I don't remember. And if I trim them back to get them more contained in the planting area, will that harm them at all for blooming next summer? Well, to be honest with you, they're probably not going to make it through the winter unless we have global warming even more exceptional than what we, you know, would anticipate. So they're truly not something sometimes in certain circumstances, certain settings where there's protection and everything else. The root system will survive and they will push out new growth the following year. But for the most part, they're not really considered a perennial plant. They're more an annual. Oh, okay. Well, good. I will only get two instead of three for that area next year then. (laughs) Right, because you saw how big they got in one year. Yeah, that surprised me. So um, they ended up beautiful. The honeybees loved them, so I'm going to get some more. Well, that sounds perfect. Great. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Sure. Thanks, Kathy, for having me on your show. And let's head over to Matt's yard now. Hi, Matt. Morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. How are you? Oh, uh, I'm good. I'm doing well. Um, we recently moved into a house um, that has um, some boxwood, boxwoods um, on the porch. They're about four feet tall, and it's quite a bit taller than where I would like them. If I were to scalp those down to, I mean, almost almost in half, would they bounce back, or am I doing some pretty bad damage there? Well, just uh, you probably just heard me talking about once you reduce the amount of foliage which you would be doing that by cutting four feet down to two feet, then also yeah. you're making the situation where the amount of food that it can make, which is used to having a lot more food because there's less foliage now, then they could head downhill. So if they, okay. if you really don't like them, I'd say go ahead and prune them, keep your fingers crossed, and they may push out, but uh, don't be real surprised if they really don't start doing any kind of new growth at all next spring and then slowly they'll turn and head downhill as far as livelihood goes. Okay. I got you. Can I, one, do you have time for one more question? Sure. Chance? Okay. Um, when we moved into the house, there was they had these yucca plants all over the place. Um, and yeah, I know. So we cut them all out the best we could. I just did it myself. But, um, you know, I, I got most of the, I, the, the, you know, as many roots as that I, that I could, but – um, what are the odds that I could put something where those yucca plants were and it would be okay, like a, a, some kind of perennial? Uh, I would say wait for a year and see what kind of growth is going to come up off the root systems. Because even if you think you dug up the root system, I mean, yuccas are yucky and they have a really extensive root system. And they can take some major damage through digging or whatever it happens to be. So consequently, I'd wait. I just put some mulch over that area. And maybe set a couple pots for seasonal color and then wait until next year, 2023, okay. and then see what happens, you know, during the course of next, you know, 2022 as okay. far as new growth surging. Yeah, they still pop up, and I try and just hit it with some Roundup. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're, they're still coming back up. Right. Little guys. So yeah. it's going to be a nightmare for a while. I don't understand yeah, why uh, people put them in the landscape. If people like them, yeah, I understand. You know, I, I think they look like big weeds. First <laughs> bit, I think they look like monsters coming up out of the ground with claws. <laughs> but if people really like them, go to the botanical garden and look at them. You don't have to have them in your own yard. But anyway, that's... Yeah, amen, amen. <laughs> well, thanks, Mike. Thanks for your help. Sure, my pleasure.
Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, you have questions or concerns about your landscape or your house plants, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. A lot of people brought house plants in, and only a few of them brought, when their house plants came in, some fungus gnats, which were in the potting soil. So if you start seeing little gnats all over the place, maybe go back and check out those house plants. And if you do have them, there are several different things you can do to get rid of them. Neem oil is one of them. Just mix it up and pour it on the soil surface. I've used it very successfully dishwashing soap. I just mix it up in a little bit of water, and it seems to be pretty darn effective. I've got to do it a couple times, but there are various different things to get rid of those fungus gnats because they can be a little bit aggravating because you think, what are those spots that I'm seeing in front of my eyes? Oh, it's gnats. I don't like gnats. Anyway, let's head over to Don's yard now. Hi, Don. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I just planted... um, 12 centennial girl hollies in the backyard of my uh, uh, hill and i was just wondering about how much water they uh, they should get you know and until uh winter time sets in uh basically you should give them a couple gallons of water every few days you know if if you've just recently planted them let's say within the last yeah. couple of weeks so about every four or five days take two gallons of water uh, and just pour it onto the root system, each individual one. Or if you haven't turned off the water system to your house, then you can just run the hose out and just kind of soak the ground really well. And then wait for a couple of days. Now, you continue to do that until uh, we start having some rain because we ha- aren't having any rain. And what happens is the drier soil is going to just pull moisture away from the root system. And it's going to cause some real problems. So... And especially any kind of broadleaf evergreen, which the hollies are. And so consequently, if they go, you know, if they get really dry, then they're going to start dropping a lot of leaves during the wintertime. And so get those watered really well. Yeah, they're about four foot high. I mean, Whoa. they're in 10-gallon buckets. So, I mean, they were pretty pretty nice bushes. Right. Uh, I bought them at a nice uh, nursery. And um, I was wondering in the springtime, any type of fertilizer to use or just Keep watering? I would say the first, you know, first spring, I wouldn't necessarily rush and put fertilizer because the root system aren't really established enough to absorb the roots, I mean, absorb the fertilizer. So consequently, I'd wait until, let's say, midsummer or something like that and do some fertilizing then. And you want to make sure that you use a fertilizer that contains the chemical, you know, contains iron and sulfur. So you want to get one for acid loving plants. The iron is basically keeps the foliage nice and dark and green. And the sulfur makes sure that the soil pH is acidic because if it's not acidic, you can see a lot of broadleaf evergreens in particular that have a yellowish cast to them, and that's because that people haven't been conscious enough with the iron and the sulfur. Oh, okay. Well, thank you very much, Mike, for taking my call. I appreciate it. Sure, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. And now let's head over to Allie's. Hi, Allie. Hello, Allie, you there? Oops, I guess not. Sorry, Allie, give us a call back if you have any questions. And let's go to jump over the river to Illinois and go into Mark's yard. Hi, Mark. Yes, uh, 
I appreciate your show a lot. Uh, I bought some uh, roses last uh, fall. Oh, they're about two foot tall. And um, should I trim those back this fall or wait till springtime or what? Uh, what type of roses are they? Granite floors, floor bundas, or uh, that type of rose, or are they a shrub rose? I don't. Uh, Do they have just like three stems coming up, or they have a bunch n- of stems coming up? A b- bunch of them. Uh, so uh, I, I can't remember the their real common name. Okay, knockout roses, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, the shrub roses, if they're that small, definitely don't do any pruning. And really, on any of them, if it was hybrid teas, granite floors, or floor abundant type roses, you would prune those back. But what you should do around these roses is put a couple inches of mulch around them just to offer some winter protection for the root system. Okay, I did that. Okay. Okay. So just let them go till springtime. Yeah, but it wouldn't hurt, just like I was talking about with the gentleman with the hollies, to do some watering because they're still really probably pretty dry. So, yes, I, I water them about every four or five days. Oh, wow. Been, You're ahead been, of the game. Yeah, I've been doing that pretty good. All right, perfect. Because it's dry. Yep. Okay, I sure appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Thanks, Mark, for uh, coming onto the show. And now let's go from Mark's yard over to Anna's yard. Hi, Anna. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. I have a question. I, um, I have about 200 fall bulbs, crocus, grape hyacinth, tulips, snowdrops. I haven't been able to get them in the ground because I broke my leg and had surgery. And I'm I'm trying to figure out they're in good shape. They're hard and solid. Um, I'm trying to figure out whether to pay someone to get them planted or do you think there's any way I can hold them over to next fall and get them in the ground? Will they survive? Well, they can survive, but uh, percentage wise, you may be less. But I don't know. Are you you just you can put them in pots, too, or window boxes or things like that. And with potting mix, so you don't have to be in a situation where you have to dig, but uh, you can grow all those things in pots. I've been doing it for years. Hmm. I wonder if I can. Yeah, yeah. I just don't have the mobility. I was hoping I, I, I did this in October, and I was hoping I would have the mobility by December, and it's not looking hopeful. So oh. I'm just trying to not lose the investment. So right. Maybe I'll I get at least some of them in, the, in pots. Yeah, you could you know? do that. And, again, just uh, – Wherever you store them, make sure that they're going to be in a dry location and cool. And uh, so just and then it's going to be a question of next. I'd probably every maybe every like three months or so, take a look at them, give them a sniff, feel them a little bit to see if they're still uh, you know firm. And you, I mean, you can hold them, but uh, sometimes it just doesn't work out right. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, thank you for your guidance. I appreciate sure. it. My pleasure. Bye-bye. And let's see. We got another call? Yeah, why not? And let's go to Nally. Nally, how are you? Hello? Yes, hello. Yes. Uh, my name is Nally, but anyway. Oh, Nally. Uh, I was going to ask you about some hydrangeas. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I bought some hydrangeas at uh, Lowe's, and they was all dead and stuff. I bought about 10 of them. And the leaves are like, you know, up, but they bad. Can I cut them all the way down so they'd be right for next year? I probably would not. Uh, even you though there, yeah, even though there's no leaves on the stems right now, there's still the buds there, and that way you're going to have some foliage since they're new. Let's say recent plants, 
And you want to make sure that next year you get as many leaves coming out as you can possibly get. And okay. if you cut the stems down, you're going to reduce the leaf count. And then consequently, that the acclimation of the plant material, the hydrangeas into the location is going to be, could be hurt a little bit. So just, I'd leave them alone, no pruning for at least one year, if not two years. Yeah, they would cost you 10 cents and 10 cents. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Really? Yeah, that's why I bought 10 of them. I sell stuff in the spring online. You know, I sell flowers and stuff. So I, you know, do all the bugs. And do, you know, I just sell a whole lot of stuff because I like doing I like planting. Oh, perfect. You know, I love planting. My yard is outrageous. Right. You know, I got about at least 20 hydrangeas. I got a whole hydrangeas and a knockout, you know, uh, roses on uh-huh. one side and hydrangeas. Hold them about fifteen together. I just like it. I've been doing it for twenty years. All right. I wish I, I wish what I know now I knew twenty years ago. <laughs> and <laughs> we I wouldn't all waste do. So, wouldn't <laughs> waste so much money. But you have a very nice show. I just was, you know, I did cut one of them down, so I'm gonna spend in on that one just to see what happens. Because I got one, in, you know, in the back that I cut the thing all the way down to the ground. It comes way back up six feet, but it never bloomed again. Right. You know, you know. so I keep cutting it down because I can't dig it up because it's too hard. I should throw some Roundup down there and maybe it'll die. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you, Mike Miller, very, very much. I just wanted to check before I did it. Yeah, you. Should, I mean, you should be okay. And the one that doesn't bloom, sometimes, just like all of us, as we age, we're not quite as robust as we were at one time of our life, so... Uh, that's probably what's happened with this one. What happened was I, I messed it up because I moved it. Oh, yeah, I moved it years ago. So, but it should know. it should have gotten acclimated to a new location. I'd say stop pruning it. See what happens. Oh, uh, okay then. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Because you know I don't know which variety it is, but there's a variety of uh, hydrangea called PG, and the PG hydrangea blooms in the springtime. So consequently, if you cut it off, the stems off, you're cutting off the flower buds for the following spring. So consequently, that may be what the problem is. So that's my guess. And uh, so I would say try one year without doing any kind of pruning at all to it and just see what happens. And now let's go over to Art Yard. Hi, Art. Hi. I've got a couple soil questions. So I uh, have a mulching lawnmower, and I uh, mow my leaves. Uh, it chops them up into a real fine, you know, powder almost. Right. And, you know, I don't really see my leaves anymore. And I'm wondering, you know, what kind of effects that might have on the soil. Is that okay to do? That's fine. I have a mulching mower myself. I do the very same thing because I bag some of them because I said before, I'm across from Christie Park, and there's so many leaves if you run your mower across it and it mulches them and you can look back and you still see, you know, the top of the grass blades, then you're fine. If you start to see a circumstance where you don't see any grass at all, then even though they've chopped them up into like confetti more or less, it could be not so good for your lawn just in general from a moisture standpoint. I don't know if you have a cool season lawn or a warm season lawn, but if there's too much humidity, then fungus problems are really, you know, it's not to say you're going to get them, but the scenario set up for you could possibly increase the chances of getting a fungus problem. 
does it affect the pH level of the lawn at all? I've uh, heard people say if you do that, you need to spread lime. Uh, no, 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 no. Don't do any kind of that lime stuff as baloney. So, in other words, until you get a soil test done, don't do any kind of uh, any sliming at all because your lawn, whether it's warm season or cool season, likes, likes a slightly acidic soil. So, in other words, you get a soil test done and you find out your soil is like about 6.5. 7 is neutral. Lower than 7 is acidic. Above 7 is, a, you know, alkaline. And 6.5 is the ideal soil pH for lawns. So you put lime down, and you could be raising your soil pH and making it so your lawn will be weakened. Okay. So I've got, a, I've got another question for you along those same lines. I heard you talking about, uh, I think, some fir trees and sulfur and iron. So um, my brother owns a very large Christmas tree farm. He's got like a degree in horticulture, but uh, he's actually growing fir trees in Missouri. He's one of only a couple of farms that has been able to figure out how to do it. Right. They're not quite as full as the fir trees you'd buy from North Carolina, but they're a whole lot fresher. Um, So I'm wondering, would he benefit from adding any supplements to his soil for his pine trees and his fir trees? I mean, I don't know if it'd be economically practical, but I'm just wondering, would that help the trees, the growth rate, or make them fill out more? It's not going to make them more robust or fuller, but before he adds anything, since this is his profession— he should get a soil test done and find out exactly what the nutrient level is and everything else. I'm sure he probably fertilizes, but a lot of times people, and I'm not saying he has a degree in horticulture, so he probably goes, well, that guy on the radio is just full of bull. But anyway, so consequently, <laughs> so I have him get a soil test done. The University of Missouri does a soil testing. I don't know where he is you know, located. But can... Yeah, actually, I, I think he does all of that. In okay. fact, I think he's involved with the University of Missouri. Oh, great. I think on soil quality and stuff. So if, you know, I just it always get another viewpoint. Right. And I didn't know, like, something like iron, if, you know, some of those things that the trees may deplete some of those things. And right. you get people, you know, coming out and, you know, it's a choose-and-cut tree farm, and mm-hmm. people are coming out this weekend and chopping down all his trees, and then he replants them. Um, I'm just wondering if, if his soil is going to get depleted over the years. He's been doing this for, like, 20 years, yeah. so he's very successful at it. But, you know, I just, I just wondered. Yeah, nutrient-wise, that's not going to make him more robust, have more branches, and be thicker or denser. That's strictly related to genetics. It's kind of like in the 60s when everybody had straight hair. I tried to straighten my curly hair. It doesn't work. Yeah. So consequently, growing <laughs> the fir trees here, that's great, but they're never going to be as robust as they are in an area where they're more. their habit is more, uh, let's say, the, the climate and the weather is more to their liking. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and let's head over to Max's yard. Hi, Max. Hey, Mike, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I got a question about uh, 
all the talk I've heard about, you know, watering plants and how we're don't we haven't had enough rain. Mm-hmm. What about watering lawns at this time of year? Is there any pros or cons for doing that? Well, lawn is plants, so it it definitely needs water. And uh, I mean, like if you have a warm season lawn, like a zoysia type thing. Because they're headed or they're into dormancy, they need less water. But they still, the soil is, you know, pretty darn dry. Now, to be honest with you, I water my pots, which have tulip bulbs and things like that in them. But I've already turned off my water inside, so I'm not watering my lawn. So maybe next spring I'll go, gosh, you were really stupid not to water. But, I mean, all plant material, I mean, it can be really dehydration circumstance. Well, is it worth dragging the hoses around the yard and doing some <laughs> Well, to me, I've said no. But, you know, in reality, there's people in my neighborhood. I walk, you know, in the morning and then I walk in the afternoon both. And I've seen probably percentage-wise maybe one-tenth of one percent of all the homes I walk past uh, are watering. But, uh, you know, the majority of people are not. They're just saying, well, that's the way it goes. So it's, okay, it's well, not, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I would, you know, I'd be curious to know, like, if the botanical garden with their irrigation system or something like that are, you know, is doing any kind of watering. I should probably, you know, go by and just check that out. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, most people are not, including myself, watering as far as, you know, your lawns or your plant material. If I had newly installed plant material, I'd definitely be watering that with buckets. But uh, Yeah, I I watered my lawn about 30 minutes in each area this week, and I was just wondering if I did any damage by doing that. Oh, no. Probably a little bit more would have been better, but uh, no, you're fine doing it. No damage, certainly. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Sure. My pleasure. And let's probably... We... Julie, can you do it kind of quickly? Uh, yes. I have a Japanese maple, the weeping type, wondering what time of year I could trim that. Uh, basically, the maples prefer to be pruned in the summertime. There's less sap flow. So even though the Japanese maple is a classic, you know, non-classic type maple, they still would be, prefer to uh, be pruned in the summertime. So if you can hold off, I would just wait and do it, you know, in the summer. If not, people do prune them in the wintertime, and it's not major damage-wise, but it could be, you know, problematic. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, and it's just a matter of sap flow, and the sap flow is related to, it's not only just the maples, it's the beeches and birch trees as well. So that's why they prefer the other trees, the oaks and the sycamores and everything else, they're fine the way it is. So uh, by pruning in the wintertime, the classic time to do that. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We'll be back after the news. Just make sure that if you do have your house plants inside, uh, some of them are a little bit uh, touchy as far as coldness goes. And so move them back a little bit away from the windows. But for the most part, even ones that like low light, prefer to have as much sunlight as possible through the windows. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. I will see you after the news. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. 
Yes, folks, it's the tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly. But right now, you can give us a call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And we do have some phone lines open. Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes. Uh, what are your thermostat in your home? What do you keep the thermostat at? We usually, while we're up, about 71. Uh, sometimes, like about 3 in the afternoon, it gets really chilly, so we turn it up a little bit to like 73. Ah. And then for nighttime, it's about 69 or 68. Whoa. So when you get up out of bed to go to the restroom or the bathroom or whatever, isn't it kind of cool? It's a little cool, and I have a robe right there. Ah. But I, uh, it gets pretty warm if it's more than that. Now, right. see, Sue is the one who says, we got to turn it down to 68. Oh, really? And then <laughs> I get up at, you know, earlier than she does. And the first thing I do when I get up for the morning is go turn it back up. So by the time <laughs> she wakes up, it is nice and toasty in the house. I, I think, uh, you know, I don't know how fair that is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah. You know. I was yeah. just curious because, I mean, you're up in the bluffs and everything else. I mean, mm-hmm. I would think the, sort of the environmental factors, winds and everything else makes it kind of cool. Yeah. It's interesting that when you when I go out and walk to the car, we go anywhere, it's it's oftentimes much cooler where we are. Then we get downtown. It's like, oh, I didn't need this heavy coat, you (laughs) know? So yeah, you definitely can tell the difference. No question about it. Right. So I was just curious on, uh, you know, Tracy likes the house warm, so Mm -hmm. she keeps it like 73 or 74. Whoa. 24 hours a day. Really? (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's a little for sleeping. That would be a little warm. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we have a thermostat that you can do a timer where you can Mm -hmm. make it change. Yeah, but uh, we just said, oh, the heck with it. <laughs> just old school. Leave yeah, it. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, thanks. You bet. And folks, and thanks for you, or thanks to you for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, cares for, ups and downs and all arounds to annuals. Like Brian was saying in the first hour when I was talking to him, his pansies still look really good. I walked past a couple yards, actually, I think it was yesterday, and their pansies still look really good, too. Your bulbs. Uh, those spring flowering bulbs that uh, didn't get those planted yet. Hmm. A lady called in the first hour and she can't physically do it because she's had an accident. But consequently, can you still plant your bulbs, your tulips and daffodils and things like that, crocus and snowdrops? Yes. Till the ground freezes, you can get them into the ground and they should be fine. Edibles, ground covers. Are your ground covers getting covered with foliage, leaves dropping from the trees? Your house plants, your lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board is Alex. He produces today, and consequently, uh, when you call, he will be answering the phone. He just needs your first name, and then also what he's doing as he's pushing buttons and sliding sliders and all this other kind of stuff. I do landscape consultations, which I call walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, where my email address and phone number are listed, and you can contact me, and we can schedule one. I'll come and share 40-plus years of experience related to your landscape, design, plants, care, and maintenance. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. 
it's a little bit early for me, but I have put up holiday lights and everything else. But some people have done actually, I mean, actually a fantastic job with the lighting where we're driving by or walking by. And uh, even walking by during the day, some people still have not just their lights on, but some of these inflatable things are just absolutely incredible. I don't know how so many people get these inflatable things and get them all of them working at one time. It's just unbelievable. They almost have no lawn or no uh, landscape at all visible because of all the inflatable stuff. It is entertaining, but uh, I'm not so much into the inflatables. But uh, anyway, tip of the trial goes out to everybody that's done the holiday decorations this early. As I was walking by the other day, there was a lady up on a ladder, and she was clipping lights to her gutter. So she was making it really kind of architectural highlighting. So, I mean, people put in some really good thoughts and make it very entertaining. So later on, uh, when the light sun goes down, we can take a drive and just be totally entertained. So a tip of the trial goes out to all the people that did the seasonal lightings. So if you do have any calls or questions, give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's go ahead and do Eddie before we take a break. Hi, Eddie. Morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, enjoy your show. Uh, two questions. One is uh, Southern Magnolias. I'm, I'm thinking about putting one or two in my yard. I want to know what you think of those. I, I love the way they look like a tire grove bark. And then, you know, uh, what's the cure for those? I hear the leaves can be a problem, and just uh, that's my first question. Uh, basically, the Southern Magnolia do pretty good here. I mean, you can see some really massive ones, and, I mean, they do get big. The problem with the foliage is they're like plastic. They don't biodegrade at all. So once in there, every tree, you know, whether a broadleaf evergreen like the Southern Magnolia is or deciduous, do drop leaves. Now, the broadleaf evergreens don't drop leaves like the deciduous trees by any means. But when they do drop, they just kind of lay there. And there's not too much you can do other than raking them up and uh, putting them in a compost pile. Then, to, to be honest with you, it takes them a long time to biodegrade down even in a compost pile. Thank you. Okay. And also, the southern magnolia, by being a broadleaf evergreen, means that it needs to have an acidic soil. So get a soil test done if you're really serious about it. You've seen how big they can get, so you can either plan for, you know, getting massive at maturity or just, you know, kind of there are some varieties that are not going to be as big as some of the other ones. And so there's, I mean, hybrids. So consequently, you can look at some of the hybrids, and they won't get as large as far as spread or anything else. That's a good tip. And what about planting them still this year? Is it is it too late to plant one? Or you-, uh, pu- you know, putting broadleaf evergreens in as we head into winter, it could be a really touchy type thing. So you could go ahead and give it a try if you want. Uh, they should, you should be okay just making sure that uh, the root system is kept damp. You know, for if whether we have rain or not, it may be even for the first month do us some additional watering anyway. But uh, we're really kind of at the kind of at the end of the time to be planting any kind of broadleaf evergreens. So preference would be to wait till spring. Yeah, right. Okay. The other thing is, I did put some sod. I did some work done in my yard, and I put some sod down. Uh, uh, about uh, three or four weeks ago. It seems to be doing okay. It hasn't gotten green, of course. And uh, uh, do you think that'll do okay? Did I do it too late? And uh, as far as watering goes, 
this time of year, how much do I need to water it? Uh, so you said it's, so is it zoysia? Is that why it's not green? It's not, it's not zoysia. It's, it's, it's just your regular, uh, you know. Uh, bluegrass or fescues? Bluegrass, or so. bluegrass yeah. fescue. And it's, it's not, it's not brown. It's just, it's just, it hasn't, it hasn't popped yet. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of still kind of like the color it was when we put it down kind of a little bit, there's a little bit, little, little bit of gray, uh, brown in it, but not a lot. Yeah. I would probably go out and just, you know, make sure you, you do keep it watered because it does need to have some moisture and just go out every few days and just gently sort of lift up one of the, you know, one of the corners to see if the actually root system is penetrating into the ground because with the soil being so dry, that may prevent the, uh, or limit the ability of the root system of the sod to penetrate into the ground. And if it doesn't, it's destined for death. Okay, that's a good point. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate your, your, uh, your advice. Thanks, buddy. My pleasure. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. This, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Even though my zoysia grass is definitely towards dormancy, it's getting pretty tan those annual weeds, uh, they're still growing. Violets, you know, and I, like I said, I don't use hardly ever any herbicides well, in the lawn because I want to see what's coming up, what's doing this, what's doing that, just for an educational standpoint. But the chickweed is still rampant, and also the uh, henbit. Those two are the ones that are the most prolific in my, you know, my, my lawn. And I'm not going to blame my neighbor because uh, even though they do come from there, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Those are the two annual cool season weeds that actually germinated last August. And uh, they will go and go and go as long as it's cool. Once it starts warming, they disappear. But the whole time they've been growing, they've been dropping seed. And that's where all this comes from. Let's go now back to the phones, and let's head to Greg's yard. Hi, Greg. Good morning. How are you? Very good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, I recently purchased some hibiscus plants, and I didn't know if it was too cold to plant them now, or should I try to put them in the basement and wait till spring of next year? Or... Now, is this a hibiscus for a hardy variety? I'm assuming. No, I don't know. It's, it's, they're called Proven Winter. Well, then they must be, you know, a hardy variety. I don't know which variety. You know, I don't. I'm not familiar with that particular one. But uh, I would go ahead and get them in the ground if you've got the bed space prepared. They like a really well drained soil and highly organic content. So if you've got that, you know, area in your garden that you can put them into, that's fine. If you still have to do the soil prep and everything else, then you're kind of pushing it because you got to get that done. Don't Or if you don't get it done, and what you can do is just leave them in the pot, dig a hole in the garden space, and just drop the pot down into the hole for the wintertime and then plant them next spring. Oh, thank you so much. I knew you would have a remedy for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the soil isn't prepared, so I'll, I'll just drop the whole pot in there and then come out uh, full guns blazing in spring. Exactly. So just don't, you know, make sure the top inch of the pot is above the surrounding area that you're dropping, you know, it down into the hole. But uh, other than that, that's about all you need to do. 
Okay, thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Paul's yard. Hi, Paul. Hey, Mike, how are you doing this morning? Very good. Excellent. Hey, I got a simple question. Um, two years ago, I had my front uh, area redone uh, facing the street, and I put a what I wanted to be a showpiece uh, blue holly um, in the corner of Castle Spire. And quite frankly, it, it's, it's alive, but it doesn't seem to be thriving. Um, I, I suspect I may need to prune it a little bit to get it to fill out, or do I need to fertilize that? It is within about mm, three feet of the, uh, the foundation wall, if Ooh. that has any effect. Yeah, that definitely has an effect. And also, just it sounds like the soil hasn't been prepared ahead of time, you know, correctly. So the holly okay. really like a very acidic soil. That alkalinity of the foundation has an impact on it. But it sounds like the plant hasn't even got them, you know, started to do any root development. But I'd go out, I don't know if you did the planting or professional service did, and make sure that it wasn't planted too low. So consequently, if it's started to sink below the grade, even though we haven't had any rain or anything else, that has a potential to even have more adverse impact. But if it's not looking good, it's like people, if we're not feeling well, don't fertilize. And if you have plants that aren't looking good, fertilizer is not necessarily the thing that you want to do. You're not going to cause it to perk up. And pruning is not going to cause it to perk up. So without an adequate root system, you can do all those things if you want to, but it's not going to make any make very little difference at all. Okay, so as, when you speak about acidic soil, is there a way to reinforce the acidity in that corner? Because it really is the only thing in that corner of that bed um, of any consequence. Right. So, yeah, I mean, go to your favorite garden center and tell them you want some iron sulfate. So that's, you know, and just, you know, ask them or read the label and follow that. You're going to pull the mulch back. You're going to put the iron sulfate on the ground. You're going to water it in, and then you can push the mulch back and see if you can perk it up. And it's not going to be an instantaneous thing. It may take it even a, you know, one or two growing seasons before it's going to start, let's see, getting to the air, getting to the way that you expect it to be. Yeah, it's now done. Don't get me wrong; it's not. It, it looks less than vibrant, right? But it's but it's still going year after year, and it's not doing any big leaf drops or anything like that. Okay, so great. I think it may just be needing time to establish, and maybe I need to condition that soil more. Right. That sounds like uh, you got a good idea. Perfect, Mike. I appreciate your service, sir. Have a great day. Sure, my pleasure. And now Bye-bye. let's head uh, from Paul's yard over to Donald's yard. Hi, Donald. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Very good. Uh, I've got the head, uh, hedges or strawberry in my yard. I used to keep real nice, but I had a stroke in 1906. I haven't even worked in the yard that much. They really got, uh, they really got bad shape. I want to make, uh, I need them cut. I need them shaped up every day. Because they said we have on the porch every day. I need to get the true maker, cut them down. How would I cut them down? Uh, as far as being able to get them under control, as far as size goes, is that what you're asking? Right, right. Because they are in shape and way too big. They go up way more on the porch right. every day. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a lot of work. And a lot of times, as I've been talking about a couple different times, when you've got something that's overgrown as far as size-wise and everything else, if you do some major size cutting, then it's going to really have an adverse impact on the plant material. So, in other words, it's been pretty healthy, and that's why it's growing and it's gotten as big as it has, which is not right. what you really like. But consequently, if you cut a bunch of it off, then its ability to recover from that is going to be somewhat limited. So if you can, if you can be patient, however high it is, I would take about 20% off would be the maximum I'd take. And just over the next couple of years, take, you know, just take a percentage off of it as opposed to just making one big cut to get down to the size that you prefer. Okay, sounds good. Thanks a lot. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go to Cynthia's yard. Hi, Cynthia. Hi, Mike. Thanks for your program. Sure. I got a sick pecan tree. And, uh, well, the the nuts, they got wormholes in them. How come? Too much rain? Or, <laughs> and a lot of them, uh, that I cracked them open with my shoe, you know? Right. And they're rotten on the inside, like molded. Yeah, I would, I'd have a tree service come out. There is a particular insect that does impact the pecans, and, you know, I can't think of exactly what it is right now, but uh, uh-huh. it's. Uh, I would get a tree service out to take a look at it. Okay, okay. Later on, could you give us that number, that one that you uh, advertise? Yeah, it's timber. Yeah, it's Timberline Tree Timberline, service. yeah. Right. Yeah. So just give them a call, and they'll come out and take okay. a look at it. Okay, okay. Now, first okay. of all, let me ask you another question. Now, how old is a pecan tree? Um, or just how old is that pecan tree? About 40, 15, uh, 15 years. About 15, oh. maybe, maybe a little bit older. Okay, so it's it's young, in other words, or it's fairly young. So, yeah, definitely well, yeah. get these guys to come out and take a look. Okay, okay, all right. I was hoping it was young. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it should be okay. Just get them oh, out there to well, take a look. I hope because my mom planted it for us. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Again, Timberline Tree Service. Okay, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Keith's yard. Hi, Keith. Hey, uh, good morning. Uh, thank you for, for your service. Uh, back in October, uh, I had to install a lateral field in my yard. We're not on sewers and, and this huge lateral field in my backyard. And I wanted to try to get it planted first of October so I'd have growth on the grass. And the guy kind of, he said, let's let, let, let's let this settle down, let, let, let it hit rain, and then we'll, so we, we had to wait until October 20th to plant. And he did. We put rye down, some twelve, twelve, and then we covered it with the the, the, the uh, straw. And I put a bunch of water on it. And as of today, I got a nice. I've got some uh, growth of this. Uh, this rye is growing now. Mm-hmm. My question is, um, and, and it looks good right now. I think I'm. I, I, I think I'm okay. But do you think in the spring I'll have to reseed? Yeah, and I wouldn't reseed with the rye. Rye is kind of just a temporary let's say, a cosmetic-type thing, but you don't see rye sod for sale, and it's really what you've what it was used for was perfect in your circumstance. But uh, for longevity factor, I'd start looking at something else, either a fescue or a bluegrass seed. Now, with that said, sh- 
should I stay stay away from uh, treating that? Like, in other words, do I put any uh, pre-emergence down in the spring or just go ahead and, and plant plant fescue, maybe a little 12-12, but that's it? Yeah, don't use a triple 12 either. Triple 12 okay. was a fertilizer that was developed for one-season type thing for agricultural crops. Okay. So if you're really serious about this, Get a soil test done, find out what the whole idea or what's going on there, and then buy a fertilizer to go along with what nutrients are lacking or what nutrients are abundant. Because with triple 12, the phosphorus and potassium, the last two numbers of those 12s, uh, have a tendency to stay in the soil for an extreme period of time. And then consequently what happens is they start adversely impacting plant material, the root system. So you just have to be really careful about using, you know, something like that consistently over and over and over again. Okay. And my wife accidentally uh, hit a tree in our yard, and uh, she said it wasn't her fault because she honked the horn. Ha, 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 ha. See ya. <laughs> yeah, a dumb tree. <laughs> Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. You probably dug up your cannas and your dahlias and your others, caladiums and things like that. In other words, the summer bulbs. It's probably a month or so ago or maybe even a little bit longer. You put them in paper bags, layered in it with some newspaper, or just maybe didn't even put the newspaper in. You just have them in paper bags in a dark spot and everything else. Wouldn't hurt to start going down about once a month or so and just checking them out. Just you know, touch them and feel them, and uh, see how they feel. If they start sm- feeling like moist and soft, ugh, then get rid of them because it could cause other problems. So what ha- what that is indicating is the moldy. S- let's say softness indicates that there's the moist there's moisture there and where the moisture came from hmm maybe you should have put newspaper you know around every layer or so but anyway just check out those summer bulbs and um, make sure that they're going to be good for you for next year let's go over to Aaron's yard hi Aaron good morning good morning Um, I have a very unusual situation I have a black gum that has been in place 87 years. Whoa. It's about 80 feet tall, but it has grown such in diameter that uh, the lower limbs are stretching across the sidewalk that is access to the front door. And uh, I'm losing a lot of small limbs. I'm wondering two things. Number one, when's the best time to trim this tree? And how far up may I go on the trunk removing limbs? Uh, as far as when you can do it, black gum is one of those things like the oaks and you know other things, sycamores. Pruning in the wintertime is the best time to do it. If you've got elongated branches, which it sounds like you do have. Uh, oh, yeah. You make sure you- it's about 50 feet in diameter. <laughs> Make sure that you cut uh, the branches off one-third sections at a time with the final cut leaving only a stub of about a you know, quarter to a half inch or so. So, so I don't trim the whole limb off. I trim off about one-third? No, you cut it by – you cut it – you're cutting on the whole limb off. 
but you're cutting it off one-third at a time. If you try to just make the cut at the trunk, it's going to tear the bark, and that's going to open a wound. So by cutting and re- reducing it, the length one-third at a time with a final cut you know, near the trunk, that's the best way to do it. So you minimize the chance of tearing the bark and causing damage. Okay, and about how far up may I trim it? You can, you can limb them up quite a distance. Let's put it that way. Okay. So, I mean, I, it's di- difficult to say you can go up 20 feet or something like that. So you just want to make sure that uh, you don't reduce, the, the let's say, the, the amount of branches drastically, but uh, just, you know, limb them up as much as you, you feel is necessary. I'm sure you have a good feeling for it. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, so. We're going to try to keep it. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. And so if I was, you know, if I was without seeing it or anything else, I would say you could take off probably the all the way around the trunk, maybe the lowest five or six branches. Okay. That's not going to be much. Okay. Well, then you can go up a little bit more. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. Because it's causing problems for you. So you want to make sure that, you know, you have access to your house and front walk and everything else. So. Cut up as much as you need. And let's go now over to Art Yard. Hi, Art. Oop. Hello, Art. Are you there? Yeah, Mike. Thanks for taking the call. I just thought of another question. Uh, I planted 20, tree, 20 trees this year, and I figure being 92, I'm going to leave a little bit of a green legacy for the young people to go ahead and oxidize. The thing of it is, is the redwood and the uh, uh, big trees out there on the coast, can they propagate that type of a tree again on the soils where those trees might have been eroded off? But my main question was this. I happen to be a crocus type, and they say that if you take a handful of sand and place it underneath your bulbs that you will have a better chance of having these things to bloom. But on the fall blooming crocuses, the fall blooming crocuses, retaining the foliage as the fall bloomer is starting to grow, the foliage is coming out. You don't want to go ahead and whisk or remove that foliage. You want that to be on after the crocus has bloomed. Yes, very true. I mean, the fall crocus will shoot up a flower, and then consequently then the foliage will come up after the flower is finished. And the foliage is what builds up the bulb for the future. And as far as putting sand in the hole with the crocus, if you have a well-drained soil, you don't need to do that. All you're doing, it doesn't make it going to bloom any better or anything else. It just helps with the drainage. But you have to watch out if the soil hasn't been well, you know, well prepared initially that sometimes sand together with clay, that's how you make bricks. So just be cautious of that. And as far as, you know, you're talking about the, the redwood trees in the West Coast, if you're trying to grow them out in the West Coast, they can grow there, but they cannot grow here. They're not hardy for the outdoors here. So uh, taking a cutting and trying to grow, you know, and then getting it rooted or buying a, you know, a redwood tree from there, a sequoia, 
it's just not it can't make it here. I didn't know if that's you know kind of the question you were answer, you know asking. Yeah, it's a shame that they're going to lose them. I'm afraid out there with the type of the weather and the climate and everything else like that. It doesn't seem like the people have much respect for the legacy or for the historic significance of the green. Right. I understand that, too. And what they're finding, too, is there's been so many wildfires that consequently there's been some major damage to certain trees that almost were resistant to any kind of major damage to the bark, lower part of the tree, due to wildfires. And so consequently, they're having trouble in that, you know, in that perspective as well. So consequently, thanks, Art. I greatly appreciate it. And if you do have any questions or concerns, we got phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Start watching out. The ground is not frozen yet, so you could still have some mold damage. So if you head out and you start to see mold tunnels or piles of dirt, what those piles of dirt mean is you do have a mole there, and consequently the mole is digging, a, a, let's say, a deeper tunnel, which is the highway back to where they go to sleep. So they have a sleeping den below the surface. So that's what the pile of mold, or pile of dirt is. And then the surface tunnels is the ones where they go as they're tunneling around. They're listening for earthworm movement, and the earthworm will keep moving because the ground is not frozen yet. So consequently, the mole will still be out looking for food. So if you do have insects in your yard, that really doesn't have anything to do with mole presence. So again, as earthworms, that's their main diet. If they do happen to come across any kind of insect, whether it be a grub or anything else, as they're tunneling towards the earthworm sounds, then they're going to eat it, but that's not the thing that brings them into the yard. And so a lot of times if you have a nicer yard, you're going to have more earthworms. The chances of having moles is going to even be greater. So then traps, that's the way to go. There's no getting around it. I mean, as tragic and you know, disastrous as it sounds, uh, there's other things people have great luck with uh, as far as repellents and this is and that's and everything. But consistently over the decades of time, it's uh, the traps that work the best, putting them in the areas where the tunnels have popped up, the feeding tunnels on the surface, and then flatten those down and find out where they pop up again, and you put the traps along those kind of circumstances. So just keep that in mind. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got some phone lines open. If you have any questions, we've still got about 10 minutes or so of the show. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, a couple things that you may con- you know may not even think about. Excessive fertilization with high nitrogen. So in other words, you see some of these bags where the, the bay, three main numbers, the first one's nitrogen, second one's phosphorus, and the third one's potassium. Uh, nitrogen basically will stay in the soil for only a few days or, you know, a week or two or whatever it happens to be. And then it goes up into the air as and becomes as a gas and then comes back down when there's lightning strikes. But also nitrogen, high levels of it, excessive amounts of it can retard root growth by depleting, you know, woody plants of carbohydrates. So in a landscape... They don't require a whole lot. I can give you these specific things 
and they're always like really confusing anyway. Three pounds of actual nitrogen per 1,000 square feet a year should keep them healthy. Remember the plants, the nitrogen breakdown, the organic matter, and everything else. So it's really crucially important, and a couple applications is the best way to do it. But the high, high nitrogen can really be problematic. And then also you've heard me you know, continually talk about the other two numbers, the phosphorus and potassium, they stay in the soil for extended periods of time. So that's not good either. And, I, you know, I want to talk about a couple of weeks ago before Thanksgiving, I talked about uh, sweet potatoes. And I thought there are still many sweet potatoes in the, you know, in the stores right now. It's absolutely unbelievable. And sweet potatoes, you know, if you've grown the annual sweet potatoes, so in other words, the vines with very colorful foliage and everything else, uh, you can grow real sweet potatoes. And they're a member of the same family as morning glories. Can you imagine? <laughs> you don't think of sweet potatoes and morning glories being cousins to each other, but they actually are. Let's head over to Jim's yard now. Hi, Jim. Hi, how are you? Very good. Hey, uh, I got some knockout roses here uh, on Sunset Lake in uh, Gerard, and they're about five feet tall, and uh, they've got the blooms up on the top of them now, you know, the little round things. Right. Should, I, should I trim those back now? No, you don't need to. You're talking about the rose hips. So, in other words, a rose hip is where the flower was, and now it's just it creates this ball, and actually they can make jelly and stuff out of rose hip. But anyway, no, you don't have to prune those off. Okay. Now, when should I cut those rose, uh, these knockout roses down a little bit? Uh, probably the best time I would prefer to do it is coming out of wintertime. So sometime between, let's say, Valentine's Day and the Ides of March, cut them back at that time. So in other words, you want to do it before you start seeing any of the leaves emerge. And I just like to leave them you know, the size that they currently are. So just for a little bit of protection in case we have some a severe winter and get some damage, that way the tops or the tips that have been damaged, you'll be pruning those off rather than waiting and pruning them now and then having to prune more off in the springtime because of some winter damage. So I can probably take, what, about a foot and a half off of them in the spring? Yeah, probably no more than that. That would be the, you know, the maximum. Okay. And one other, I got some hydrangeas up in Springfield. Now they didn't bloom real well this year, but I, uh, when when can I prune those back? It depends upon the variety. If they're summer bloomers, you can prune them coming out of wintertime. If they're spring bloomers, consequently, you prune them in the fall or something. You're cutting off the flower buds for the following spring. So, do you know which variety they are? They bloom about in June. Okay. So and they only bloom once, or do they bloom throughout the entire summer? Usually just bloom once. Okay. So then I'd probably, you know, not do any pruning at all as we're coming out of uh, wintertime at all. If So if you're going to prune them, I'd do the pruning right after they flower in June. And then no pruning okay. other than that. Okay. Then how how far do you take them down? Uh, depends upon, you know, again, the the variety. But I would not take any more than 20% down. But I would, you know, personally, unless you want to keep them at a certain size or whatever it happens to be, uh, I just cut the flowers off and just don't do any other pruning. If you want to cut another couple inches below the flowers, that's fine. Okay. 
Sounds good. I appreciate it. Love your show. Well, thank you. And the reason why I'm saying that is because you want to have as me- as much foliage, again, on all plant material as possible because the leaves is what makes the actual food. So anyway, right. let's go from Jim's over to Jason's. Hi, Jason. Hey, uh, I have a follow-up question on some uh, white pines that I am planting. Uh, does it really matter which way these are oriented towards the sun? Uh, basically, with the pines, it doesn't because with other deciduous-type trees, because the pines actually have the branches and everything else, so consequently, uh, that shadows the trunk. So other trees that have a trunk that are that is totally exposed, then it is very important. That's why nurseries will s- spray a spot to tell you this is the way that you want to orient the tree trunk towards the south. Because if you don't, you could have some sun scalds, you could have some damage, some splitting as a result of the. I know. was looking for that spot. Yeah. yeah. All right. Great. Good to know. I've heard you say that before. So thanks for clarifying, Mike. Yeah, so with the evergreens, you don't have to worry about it that much. So, again, your houseplants, take a look at them. On cold nights, you know, watch out for some of your houseplants. If it's getting, you know, like it was, it's still not really all that bad. But just make sure that you don't let any of the foliage of the houseplants touch the windows. It hasn't been really problematic yet, but it, it it could be problematic when it starts getting colder. And also... Don't put any of your house plants where the heat vents are going to blow the heat down onto them because that's really trouble as well. And head out to your, you know, out to your garden, whether it's an annual garden, whether it's a vegetable garden or anything else, and get all that debris cleared up. Or even with the perennials, uh, bad debris can cause you know damage as far as diseases and insects and things like that. But remember, with the perennial plants. Any of them that were fall bloomers, like the mums, the asters, and something like that, don't do any pruning at all. Leave the top growth. Even though it's finished, just leave it there because it offers protection for the crown. And the crown is, let's say, the growth point. That's where the root system and the stems meet. And by leaving the above-ground growth there, that will help if we have a really severe winter. And don't hesitate to go out there, and particularly if you have any plant material that's been recently installed, and do some extra watering, whether you have to carry the buckets of water, you know, from the inside of the house or not. Do some, you know, do that. And as far as the, you know, the lawn and everything else, hopefully everything will be okay. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.